your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Before we begin today's topic, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Women with early-stage breast cancer may live longer if they maintain a diet rich in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and low-fat dairy, a new study suggests. This so-called prudent diet was not linked to a lower risk of death from breast cancer specifically. However, researchers found that breast cancer patients who ate this way over the eight-year study period were less likely to die from other causes. Researchers explained the consumption of a diet that's high in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and poultry, and low in red meat and refined foods may positively influence a woman's overall health and prevent other cancers and chronic diseases. The results were also consistent with past studies suggesting that diet may be a more important factor in general health and diseases other than breast cancer than it is in breast cancer survival specifically. The findings published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology are based on 1,901 women diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer. Between the year 2000 and 2002, the women completed detailed questionnaires on their diet, exercise habits, weight, and other health factors. They were then followed for up to eight years. During that time, 226 women died, with 128 deaths attributed to breast cancer. Researchers found that women who had reported a prudent dietary pattern at the outset had a lower overall death rate than those who had reported a more Western-style diet, one that is high in red and processed meats, snack foods, high-fat dairy, and refined grains like white bread. Women with the highest intakes of healthier foods were about half as likely to die during the study period as women with the lowest intakes, even with other important factors taken into account, like the initial size of the breast tumor, the treatment type, and the patient's smoking habits. Neither dietary pattern, however, was related to the odds of breast cancer recurrence or to a woman's risk of dying from the disease. Still, the link between diet and overall survival means that eating healthy is an important factor. In other news, a single gene appears to play a crucial role in deadly breast cancers, including the chances the cancer will spread and making it resistant to chemotherapy, U.S. researchers said on Monday. They found people with aggressive breast cancers have abnormal genetic alterations in a gene called MTDH, and drugs that block the gene could keep local tumors from metastasizing or spreading, increasing a woman's chance for survival. Stopping cancer spread is important. 
while more than 98% of patients with breast cancer that has not spread live five years or more, only 27% of patients whose cancer has spread to other organs survive. Researchers said that they are hopeful the finding will lead to the development of drugs that not only keep breast cancer from spreading, but also make it more responsive to treatment. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that was today's Cancer in the News. We are officially two weeks into 2009, and I'm sure many of us are in disbelief at how quickly 2008 flew by. While most of us are looking forward to the new year, it's important to remember just how many people were touched by cancer last year. In 2008, 1.4 million people were diagnosed with cancer, and today there are 12 million cancer survivors living in the United States. When you hear these statistics, it really becomes clear that everyone has someone who has been affected by this disease. On today's show, we're going to talk about the important role of the cancer caregiver, but we're actually going to focus on issues specific to long-distance caregivers. There are uh, approximately 7 million long-distance caregivers in the United States, and as cancer continues to become more of a chronic illness, the number of long-distance cancer caregivers caring for and about someone with cancer will certainly continue to increase. We are joined today by two wonderful guests who bring important perspectives to our show. First, we have Virginia Green. Virginia has spent over 20 years in executive sales and marketing positions in the fashion industry and has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. She is a caregiver to her sister, Amy, who lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. Virginia has also been a participant at our wellness community in Redondo Beach, California. Welcome, Virginia. Hello. Nice to see you, Kim. Uh, we also have with us Christine Winkler, who is a Ph.D. licensed marriage and family therapist who facilitates the family support group at the Wellness Community of Redondo Beach in California. Thanks for being here with us, Chris. Hi. It's great to be with you, Kim. So I'm going to jump right into our topic. I know our listeners are eager to hear this discussion. Um, Virginia, I'm going to start with you. Take us back to the day that your sister was diagnosed with cancer. What was that like for you? What was that like for your family to receive that news? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it was a really interesting day. My sister had just gotten back from, my sister's a nurse, and she had just come back from uh, a medical mission in uh, Africa, in Darfur, and um, thought she had, she didn't feel well, and she thought maybe she had a parasite. So she went to her primary care physician, and they did all sorts of tests, and fortunately, uh, her doctor said, let's just, just for fun, let's do an ultrasound. So they did, and uh, she, my sister did not get home from the um, from the lab and a phone call on her cell phone saying, get back here. Mm. And so it was totally uh, a shock to our family. We had we don't have cancer in the family, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really surprised that this happened, and, uh, you know, just one of those startling things where we had no way to prepare. Here's this wonderful person who is nothing but, you know, a sweet and gentle I'm going to cry. I hope I don't cry. You can uh, cry. A <laughs> uh, person. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly yeah. diagnosed with this. And we didn't, I didn't know anything about ovarian cancer. I didn't know anything about, I didn't know, I had nothing, no no frame of reference. It was a, um, and of course, we all, we're all over the country. My other sister lives in Seattle. My brother lives in Delaware. And uh, so it was, uh, what do we do? It was um, just a, a baffling um, circumstance. So the diagnosis was ovarian cancer. What what stage or what? Uh... Uh, Christine, you made me remember even better than I did, but it was. I think it was stage four. 
Mm-hmm. Was it stage four? I was going to say three C. Three, yeah. It was. Um, I uh, it was serious enough that she was whisked into surgery within a few. You know, within I think it was even the next day or the day mm-hmm. after she was in surgery. And, and, uh, and how old is Amy? She's a year younger than me, so she's fifty. She was fifty-two at the time. Mm-hmm. And so there are four kids in your family. Yes, I'm the oldest, and she was. She's the second one, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's my annoying little sister, and suddenly, uh, and we have, we have a, have always had a, a, a warm relationship, but this was this has really propelled us into something amazingly different yeah. in a good way. And are your parents? Uh, my father lives not far from her, and mm-hmm. my mother lives in Delaware. And two months after my sister was diagnosed, my mother went into the hospital, which is another whole story. So there was this. We had this big medical crisis in a family that's basically very healthy. Mm. Wow, wow. It's it's really an intense moment. And I'm sure everybody thought it was related to her mission in Africa, to her work in Africa. Well, initially, but then on reflection, uh, I had seen her the year before in Las Vegas. She'd come out for a conference, and um, she wasn't feeling well then. And on looking back, and she goes, you know what, I think I was already sick, and I just didn't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So in some ways, you, you know, you're sort of this typical American family in that you're in California, Amy's in Cincinnati, your sister's in Seattle, your brother's in Delaware. I mean, that's not uncommon, right, right. for an American right. family. But it certainly makes some of these care, caregiver issues and, and issues around illness a lot more challenging. Right. Um, you know, one thing that we've been talking about with folks is, is really, to, to them, to you, what, is, what does it mean to be a caregiver? What is the definition of a caregiver in your mind, Virginia? What does that mean for you? Well, it's changed a lot. I mean, I, when I think of a caregiver, I think of somebody who's standing by somebody's bedside, uh, giving them, putting cold towels on their forehead and feeding them chicken soup. Yeah. And what I've, what I've learned, one of the gifts of the last couple of years of working um, with Amy is that there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more creativity that goes into how to be a caregiver when you live 3,000 miles away. Yeah. And physical presence is, 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 what, is certainly a really important element of it. And um, I talk, when I talked to my sister yesterday and told her I was going to be doing this, I said, what was really helpful? She said, she said, you came because I did. I committed to be there every month. I was there the weekend after chemo every month for the first six months, wow. even though she didn't really want me there. <laughs> uh, she was like, no, I can handle this. But she, and she was so glad. I was, you know, I came and baked cookies, yeah. and, and we talked about things that weren't cancer. Yeah. And I was just there. And, just, and, and that... The physical presence is really important, but also knowing that there was a lot I could do even from here. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris, I know you're working with a lot of caregivers there in California. Tell us, tell us what in in your mind and, and what you've observed and, and listened and learned. What does it mean to be a caregiver? What is the definition of a caregiver? Well, the definition of a caregiver primarily is is being involved emotionally, and and when a person is involved, it requires a lot of knowledge, and with the support groups at the wellness community, this is where family members learn about the disease. But the family involvement is associated with a much better treatment compliance and outcome for the patient because they know somebody is there for their support. And when the family people have a clearer understanding of this roadmap that we help them learn about recovery, um, there is a cohesiveness that leads to better recovery and to stronger healing. And the patients and the family members understand their goals and, re- and roles as they come together and talk with each other about what they expect, what they're going to allow in. You know, cancer is a disease of the family, not of the person. Yeah. 
and it is learning the ability to deal with stress and managing its most important factors in the psychobiology of health. And the family members, they are not there. Nobody is prepared. Nobody dress rehearses for this. And so it's like cancer is the main member of the family that just moved in and took over, and everybody feels the disequilibrium of, of this, you know, it's just uproots the family in many ways. So, but working with family members, it's interesting because most of them come wanting and needing to learn, and they have an immediate bond. Virginia, I think you can attest to that. There's such a caring and such a support that is almost indescribable in groups that people feel. And then they feel strong and supported to go ahead and do what they have to do. We're going to take a break in, 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 uh, in just a minute, Chris, but let's go back to something you said. Are you, do you, are you saying that, that folks who have cancer do better when they have these caregivers around them? When there is family involvement, it's, it's associated with a much better treatment compliance and outcome, yes because they know that people care and that people are, are tracking them and are there for them, yes. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that you do are you run support groups for, for families and caregivers there at the wellness community. Yes. We have what's called the family support group is different and separate from the cancer patients mm -hmm. because their issues are different. I mean, primarily a family group is uh, driven by the fear of loss. They're yeah. afraid something's going to happen to their loved one. They might even die, and it's, it's a shock. Right, And the right. cancer patients are talking about recovering and going through the treatment. They're right. talking about different things. Yeah. Right. We're going to take um, just a quick break, uh, Chris, but when we come back, I actually want to pick up a little bit more on that, what the experience is okay. uh, in the patient group versus what the experience is in the family uh, and in the caregiver group. Um, today we're talking about long-distance caregiving uh, on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. It attacks the brain, and you might not know what hit you. It's a stroke, and it can cripple or kill you. If suddenly you're numb or weak on one side, limb, or face, it could be a stroke. Get help. There's no time to waste. It could even be a sudden, severe headache without cause. If you wait to get help, 
Time lost is brain lost. Maybe it's a loved one slurring their speech or dizzy. Call 911 and get medical help quickly. There are even more symptoms that I did not mention. So call or hit the web for information and prevention. Blacks have a higher occurrence. Do you want to know more? Call 1-888-4-STROKE or visit www.strokeassociation.org. High blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. All make the risk of a stroke more likely. But remember, if it happens, do not delay. Or disability might be the price you pay. A public service message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're joined by Virginia Green, a caregiver and former participant at our wellness community of Redondo Beach, and Chris Winkler, a marriage and family therapist who facilitates family support groups also there at the wellness community in Southern California. We're discussing the issues surrounding long-distance caregiving and what you can do to help a loved one with cancer that doesn't live nearby. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, some of the challenges of long-distance caregiving, um, I, but I want to go back, Chris, to pick up on right before the break. Um, we were talking about when you have uh, patients in a support group, you have families and caregivers in a separate group, it's a very different conversation, a very different experience. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, the cancer patient comes dealing with the disease, Mm -hmm. and there is so much unknown, and there's so much that they need to know, and so they're with people who are going through the same thing, and they're not alone with this, but they're talking about their cancer. They're talking about treatment. They're talking about their emotions in a much safer place than they feel being with a family member because very often they feel that the family member is upset and that they can't communicate as well. Mm -hmm. But with other cancer patients, they can talk about everything until they learn how to do this with the family members. Mm -hmm. And the family member does not want to talk about their fear of loss of, oh, my gosh, what if something happens to my husband or my wife or my child or my sister, because they, they wouldn't want to be with a cancer patient talking about that to instill more fear and more stress. Mm-hmm. So they need to talk about what they're doing separately. And one of the things that I've observed, Chris, and traveling around to our different wellness communities and sitting in on, on, on various groups is that, um, is that the, the, the patient can say, you know, I feel afraid, I feel frustrated, I'm staying in bed today, I'm not going to work, I'm crying, I'm... but that the caregiver sometimes doesn't, is not able to do that. That's they have to keep going, they have to be strong, they have to get up, they have to get out of bed, even though sometimes they're feeling pretty crummy. That's right, and, and they're not the ones who have cancer, so, so they're so-called okay and supposed to be going ahead and doing much better. Right. That's right, yes. So sometimes I find that by the time they get to one of our caregiver support groups, Boy, oh boy, that's just maybe the first place 
where they can really unload a little bit. And they do. They do. They can let down and people understand. They can express their emotions without feeling the fear of wor- of making the, uh, the cancer patient feel guilty because they have the disease right. or feel that they need to take care of the caregiver. Or feel and frustrated that maybe... The patient didn't say thank you, or they're not feeling any gratitude, or they're you know really putting themselves out quite a bit. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's it's very interesting because in the cancer group, the patients very often say that they are more concerned about the family members than they are about their own disease. Mm. I don't know if you hear that in yes. your group, but I hear that all the time. You yeah. Know, I'm, I'm worried about my husband. I don't want to do this to him. Yeah, or I, a man recently I uh, I was interacting with who said, you know, he wanted to he wanted to end his treatment. You know, he was metastatic and wanted to end his treatment, but he said, you know, I, I he said I, I I think I don't want to do it. And and the therapist said, well, what, why? He said because I don't want to tell my wife. I don't want her to think I'm giving up. Yes. You know, and right. that, that was a pretty emotional moment. It is. It's huge because that, the wife may think that, but, you know, there are so many things that they consider that are topics that are taboo. Yeah. And, and they feel like they can't say to their family members because they may not be following the protocol that they have read about. And right. They can't express their emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. They're on an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Virginia, I want to talk about some of the challenges that you, you and your family have faced with, with, with long-distance caregiving. We, we shared earlier in the show that your sister Amy was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She's in Cincinnati, Ohio. You're in California. Your sister's in Seattle. Your brother's in Delaware, sort of spread out across the country. What kind of challenges did that create for you and your family, that long-distance scenario? Well, the biggest one, and I can, I can talk about this because she gave me permission to, but <laughs> when, um, when we first found out, as I said before, she, was, she didn't want us to disrupt our lives. She didn't want us to, I don't know why exactly, and she doesn't know why either, but uh, she didn't want a lot of attention. She, didn't, she wanted to deal with this herself. We're all very independent people, mm-hmm. and I can handle this is something, you know, that she, she, we go to. And so... Um, and my first phone call when I found out about my sister was to the wellness community and because uh, I'd known about it and I'd referred my own patients there before. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, so, and the first, and I just, they gave, the wellness community really gave me the strength to say, pretty much I don't care what you think you want. I'm coming anyway. Yeah. And, um, and I made, you know, I found, I said, you know, I didn't have a lot of money floating around to just go and suddenly say I was going to be in Cincinnati every month. And yeah. when I don't work, I don't get paid because I'm a therapist. And right. so it was, a, it was a financial commitment on my part. My sister was saying, I don't want you. You know, it, was, it took a lot of um, just faith on my part that this was a good thing to do. And the wellness community really was very, you know, the, the family group was very supportive of that. Um, so just... So one of the challenges is going, you know, there's a lot of denial even when they're right next door sleeping in the same bed with you. But when they're 3,000 miles away, it's hard to push through some of those barriers. And um, But I'm so grateful that I did. I just, you know, I, I was not going to take no for an answer. So you had, so on one level you had this sort of emotional challenge in terms of what does she want, what does she need, is she being honest, what do you want to give, and how do you do that? Well, I'm used to respecting her. She's a, you know, she's a, brilliant and careful woman. I'm used to respecting her, but in this case, I, I did it. I have to say it was somewhat selfish. I did it as much for me as for her. I wanted to see her. Yeah. I, wanted, I wanted the reassurance that she was still alive. Right. 
And, um, you know, looking back on it, that was part of it, too. It wasn't all about being uh, self- selfless service. It was, it was, I had, for you. And, that, for you. and that was where the wellness community also was supportive. So I got to take care of me. That was important. That's okay. Absolutely. And that was part of my self-care was to be involved in her, um, her recovery. But it's interesting because you have sort of these emotional issues, you know, that you're talking about. But you also, as you said, you know, you also have these practical issues, you know. You're busy. You're working. It's costly not to be at work. It's, it's, it's costly to be, you know, kind of flying around the country and dealing with all that. So, I, so it seems like you're saying some of the challenges are also at a very practical level. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The thing about cancer is it's not a spiritual disease. It's a very, well, it is, I guess. Yeah. It is, but it's also there's that, that, uh, that day-to-day survival mode, obviously, that you have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And it, and did you work out a communications plan sort of with your family, or did you kind of sort this out among all of you, or how, well, my did, other, how did that happen? My other sister is a doctor, so mm-hmm. um, she was kind of in charge of uh, what's going on medically with Amy, so I didn't have to deal with that. And my job as a therapist, my job was sort of to help out with the the psychological part, the emotional part, and, and be a... Um, a place where my other siblings and my parents could go to with, um, you know, deal, so that they didn't have to burden Amy with that. And since I was at the wellness community, too, that helped me to be supportive of my other family members mm-hmm. because I was able to go to the wellness community and dump stuff that really came from everybody. It wasn't just me. It was And get some of, strength from that. Right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So... So, so tell me, tell me some of the other things that we're that we're looking at in terms of um, Chris, in terms of some of the other challenges that you see with the with this issue of long distance caregiving. What are some of the other things that you've observed? That I was thinking of the challenges, and and it is a challenge because it's, you feel somewhat helpless being at such a distance. But the issues that surface in family groups is the difficulty of talking about what's on their minds, mm-hmm. and sometimes distance may make it easier. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be easier to talk about difficult feelings without having to look at the person because nobody's going to turn away if they start crying. Mm. They can talk about their worry and fear a little bit easier without having the other person see their emotions. Mm-hmm. And so some relatives feel that certain things a patient is going through may be taboo or negative, and it may be easier to talk about it long distance. It's like writing a letter in a way mm-hmm. where you don't have to look at the people. And, and people can also talk, I think, about the negative impacts much easier without looking at each other and becoming too involved and, and feeling and experiencing the stress. Um, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. And just, just listening helps yeah. absorb the cancer patient's outpouring. And not being there means you don't necessarily have to do anything, just listen, but it's easier to disclose all the feelings. So you can be, you can sort of, you can really be much more focused and kind of perhaps in the moment. Yes, you can, you can be more objective as well as subjective, yes. And I think one other thing is that, if I can interrupt, yes, is that, um, you know, my life was going on as usual. You know, basically, I'm out here in California doing my life as usual, and that was actually reassuring, I think, for all of us, is that there is still life, you know, as you say, um, Christine, cancer is a family disease, but we're all still functioning in our our lives, and I think that's when you're uh, right there uh, next door, next to your... um, to the cancer patient, it's harder to sh- to be that because you're so consumed with uh, what's going on. So we, my sister and I, spent quite a bit of our time together, not talking about cancer. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about she and I both have, um, we're both entrepreneurs, and, you know, I've written a book, which I just coincidentally had just finished, so uh, which help, was helping her start her little business. And so we talked about life, and I think that was easier because I was not right there, because I was living a full life. So it's almost as if you're saying that the, the, the time is almost just a little bit more deliberate. It's not as if you're just kind of grabbing an hour here or there to go over and see her or be with her. That you, when you actually, you know, when you were going there, you were going there for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to be with her. To be with her, but not to be with the cancer necessarily. Not to be with to the be cancer. With to be with her, no, to remind I, her that I, there's I life like going on out here. I'm sorry, Christine. At that, you know, when, when, a, when a cancer person comes to the wellness community, one of the most important things that I say as a, as a facilitator is there's only a small part of you that has cancer. The rest yeah. of you is whole and growing, and that's the part that's going to recover, and that's exactly what you're addressing, Virginia. You don't have to just talk about the disease but the rest of your life, which is more important for health. And, uh, and I, I like what you said, that you went into other aspects of life because so many cancer patients feel burdened that they have to always be talking about the disease. Mm-hmm. And that is not true. It's certainly okay to talk about, you know, it's so okay. And, you know, and there's more. There's so much more. Do you think, Virginia, that this experience has strengthened your relationship with your sister? Totally. I mean, it was always good, but, uh, you know, when the first time I saw her, the first time I went to visit her, and she'd already been in chemo for, you know, her, she'd lost her hair and about 15 pounds, and yeah. just the shock of seeing her in that condition, you know, I couldn't not cry looking yeah. at her. And then 10 minutes later, I was used to it, and we were, we were but, I don't, but that had propelled, you know, that sent us to a different level of our relationship. When I saw my sister vulnerable for the first time, really, um, and so how vulnerable and how much she meant to me. Now I'm going to cry again. That <laughs> um, can't help but strengthen a relationship. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things at the wellness community that we call perverse benefits. It's there's something good that does happen from this experience, and it brings people much closer in many ways. And it's too bad it has to take cancer to do that. To do that. But it's, it's wonderful that it does happen. And don't we don't don't we also refer to it sometimes, Chris, as as, as meaning making? How can cancer be be a meaning making experience in your life? I mean, I hear so many patients around the country say, "Boy, oh boy, cancer was a wake up call for me." Yes, a wake up call is right, and and people learn meaning and they go deeper. Not that they choose to do it that way, but that's what I mean. They they make something good out of it. So it's sort of this unexpected gift in some ways. Yes. But I think that maybe sometimes folks need to go to a place like the wellness community to find that gift. Oh, they do. That, and I mean, to get support like that in the recovery process and to understand what's happening from other people and not to be alone in doing this. And, you know, nobody knows how to do it. There's no wrong way to do it. There's every right way just being there. But being in group, you learn so many things from other people. Well, because you have models, right? Exactly. You have folks who are, who are at different stages of it, going through it, been through it, and maybe just by, by listening and learning, you're finding new ways for yourself to deal with it. Yeah, and, and nobody knows how to talk about it unless, unless you've had it in the family. So initiating discussions of uncomfortable thoughts and feelings 
it's already a given in the group that other people are at ease doing this. They need to do it. And so people, new people who come in, like when Virginia came in, right? you know, nobody knows what they're going into, but yeah. it's wonderful. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Hello. Hi, Bill. Uh, this is George Dewey from up the street. Oh, hey, George. How you doing? Good, good. Say, I noticed you've been walking to work these days instead of driving, mm. and I uh, don't quite know how to say this, but, but, but what? But, but your butt, your buttocks, your butt. I think I found your butt on my front lawn. Have you recently lost it? As a matter of fact, I have, George. It's about time someone noticed. Well, it was kind of hard to miss, if you know what I mean. Anyways, would you like it back? Would I like it back? No, not really. So it's okay if I throw it out? Sure, that's fine. Take it easy, George. Small step number eight. Walk instead of driving whenever you can. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to help you become a healthier, well, you. Get started at www.smallstep.gov and take a small step to get healthy. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We all know someone who has been affected by cancer. And as the disease continues to become more of a chronic illness, the role of the caregiver is more important than ever before. Today we're talking about what you can do to help a loved one with cancer if you do not live close to that person, long-distance caregiving. I'm joined by Virginia Green, a caregiver to her sister, Amy, who has cancer and lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. Virginia's in California. 
and Chris Winkler, a facilitator uh, and therapist at our wellness community uh, at Redondo Beach in California. I want to go back, Chris, to some of the things that you've started to talk about a little bit. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the initial reaction is that, um, you know, being away from your loved one if they've been diagnosed with cancer is just—it's just a bad thing, negative, and um, really, a, you know, a challenge. And we've certainly talked about some of the challenges. But you, you talked a little bit, Chris, about you know maybe the fact that there are some advantages, you know, and some benefits to that. Can we go back and just talk about that a little bit more? What some of the advantages might be if there yeah, is some distance this is between that's you? Interesting, because I hadn't thought of the advantage. But when I, what I'm saying is, distance may make it easier. Because it's it's like doing email. You can you can write something and nobody they don't have to respond. They don't have to see your emotions. I think that's primarily no one's going to turn away mm-hmm. if a person cries. The 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 conversation is not going to stop. There may be a moment, but they'll go on because they they're not going to walk away. You're on a phone or whatever it is. So the issues that surface. And the difficulty of talking about what's on the minds of people is easier sometimes without having to look at that person. Like if Virginia hadn't seen Amy and how perhaps the chemo had, you know, compromised her health, she wouldn't have fallen apart in front of her. And Mm -hmm. not that she shouldn't have. Right. But it it may facilitate more conversation. Mm -hmm. And And I would imagine... um, I would imagine that there are folks who, perhaps for reasons around demands of work, demands of family, economics, finances, can't actually go to be with their loved one when they're diagnosed with cancer. Maybe email, phone, letters, maybe that's the only means of communication that they're left with, Chris. Well, yeah, but listening, just listening. And so this is something that I think is another thing that's coming off the top of my head. When you know, I'm going to call you, Amy, at this time, then everybody focuses, both people focus on talking about the important things. You don't waste a lot of time talking about other things, but you get on your, off your mind what is very important. Yeah. That they can talk about it because they're more focused on it. Yeah. yeah. Another advantage I can think of, too, is when there's somebody, um, oh, for example, my sister's husband, Richard, uh, I could call and talk to him. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it was it was a phone call. It was not. I wasn't there in the house with Amy there. She, he and I could have and Amy's daughters, my nieces, Mary and Jane. Uh, we could all have. We have, could have a conversations. I could be supportive to them probably more than if I'd actually been there day to day. Yeah. Because um, as you say, um, I'm Aunt Gina, and we have a long history. But we also can talk about how it feels. You know about them and how their life is going on, but also how they feel about what's going on with their mom. Right. You, you know, setting up specific times to talk to each other gives more order to the coping effort. You're, each one counts on being there when mm-hmm. they plan a phone call, mm-hmm. and it enables the family member to prepare and focus mm-hmm. on what they want to accomplish, and they have more order. They feel like they're coping better by that. Mm-hmm. And so... And, the chemo actually sets up that structure because you have that the day of chemo and then you have the week, you know, you get to, you get to know the chemo cycle and you can sort of plan your, in, your interactions around, I know she's going to be really tired on Saturday, so that's what I'm going to do, whatever, this. So you're involved 
in a very intimate way with what with the process with her process, but at the same time you're a little bit more detached. So. So, Virginia, you said you went out after your sister was diagnosed. You actually went out once a month for six months. I went out, and she, uh, I went out um, the weekend after her, 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 she had came on Wednesday, and I would show up there around Saturday with a cookbook <laughs> because uh, she doesn't cook, and I love to cook. And, she, and uh, fortunately, thank God, she, did not, I mean, she had plenty of appetite. She just couldn't eat, and she, couldn't, she was too tired to cook. Yeah. So, and that's what she remembers the most is the, you know, the time I came there and made the Moroccan chicken stew and the chocolate chip cookies and the, and that, that, what does that have, you know, who knows what, where that comes from, you know, is that, which is better, chemo or chocolate chip cookies, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, is that, is that, was that part of your therapy as well? Absolutely. Because you know, was, something that you love to do that you're comfortable doing. Well, that I could do, I mean, the powerlessness, as Christine was talking about, that, that I, what am, I can't do anything about this. I, I can pray. And prayer was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I can pray. I can um, be unconditionally loving. This is not the time to tell her, you know, I'm still mad at you for something you did when we were six. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I can I can I can cook. You know, I can use the kitchen aid and I can make cookies. And you just do. You find things that you can't, even though seemingly unrelated, but it it just uh, it gives you something. To hold on to when you when absolutely there is nothing to hold on to. You know, I want to say something, Virginia. We worked with you as if your sister was in the next room, not That's at true. a long distance. When I'm thinking of our experience together, there was no difference in the support that you received from our group, whose cancer patients were there, for, who were local, and so it was it was like you were learning how to be a caregiver. The feelings of hopelessness and, and helplessness and the support that you needed was not any different or you didn't receive it any differently than somebody who had a cancer patient in the next room in the cancer group. Is well, that how you felt, Virginia? Well, I think, I think it's a really important point because the long-distance caregiver sometimes feels like um, I'm not suffering as much as the person who's really right there with the bedpans, mm. you know, yeah. and because I don't, have to, I don't have to see this and deal with it every day. And um, absolutely, Christine and the support group was like, yes, Virginia, we, you suffer, you know, you're suffering in your own way. Right. And um, it's, there's not more or worse suffering. It's not better. I'm, I'm, you know, it's not, I'm a better. I, my problems are harder than yours. It was all about, we know that you're grieving too, and right. grief is grief. And there's not, uh, there was never a feeling. And that was, I was very grateful for that because I was feeling like, God, because I was sitting next to in my support group with people whose husbands were dying, you know, and, and who were having to deal with this disease uh, all day, every day. And I had a little bit of shame. It was like, why am I, you know, what do I, it's not that hard, it's not as hard for me. And absolutely, Christine and the group was, we understand, of course it is. It may be different, but of course, you know, of course it is. The challenges of mm-hmm. long-distance caregiving are different, but there's still challenges. Yeah. And that, and it sounds like that's the that's really the key is that the challenges are different. That you're dealing yeah. with different kinds of emotions. That you're dealing with maybe a little, you know, sometimes perhaps guilt. That you're dealing with 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 some uh, helplessness. That you're mm-hmm. dealing with. But you know, if you are someone who's in an, who's you know in the daily life of someone with cancer, you're feeling perhaps really much more drained and, 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 you know, a much greater kind of daily burden. Exactly. Yeah, and also, you know, I think for the cancer patients, the fear of being alone is huge when there isn't a lot, but, but although she had support there. But it's also that that can create 
uh, tension and stress between people, but you never let that happen, Virginia. And, and it's important not to let that happen, to be aware of it, the fear of being alone. Nobody has to do this by themselves, but when she's back east and you're out west, you feel that separation. You bridged it beautifully, I think. You didn't, you didn't have the fear of being alone, and you didn't have a lack of goals and interests because you didn't detach. And I think maybe the fear of being distanced is, oh, my gosh, my family's not going to be there. They may detach. I don't know. but Well, there's a lot of ambivalence. Should I give in to you know, her need to do this on her own? It's, it's, hard, it's hard to push through that. And yeah. uh, I, I think cancers can be a little bit isolating. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so to, to actually say, you know what, and for the listener, go ahead and, and don't listen to that part. Because you know, <laughs> that's, as, as Christine said at the beginning, it's a family interaction that is at least, well, I don't know, 50% of the healing. It's the love it right. you get from your family and friends. And for your sister, it just was almost a reflex on her part because she didn't want to burden you. Exactly. And I think a lot of people, are, and that's certainly how I would probably react to it. Like, would you, do you feel like you'd react the same way? Now I wouldn't. Because now I you wouldn't, but before? Uh, probably I would have said, you know, I would have, well, it's denial. I would admit, because if you, if you say I really need help, that almost is admitting, wow, this is really serious. I'm just really serious, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm actually, you know, vulnerable. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, and and we're going to take a, um, we're just going to take a real quick break, and we're going to be right back with, frankly speaking, about cancer. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic health and well-being covers many facets, including stress, time management, weight loss, cardiovascular training, and aging. And that's just to name a few. Your life without limits will help to sort it all out for you. Join host Joe Sardi and the top minds in holistic health and well-being for an educational and entertaining hour. Listen for Your Life Without Limits. Heard every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening.
listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Frankly speaking about cancer, uh, on today's show we're, we've been talking about the good and bad in in the long distance caregiving relationship and what you can do to help a loved one with cancer when you don't live nearby. Um, Chris, how important is it to talk to your loved one about his or her prognosis when you're uh, a long distance caregiver, talking about the future, talking about you know what the diagnosis may hold? Well, I think it's very important to talk about everything. If yeah. they have information from the doctor and they're willing to share it, that's very important. And, you know, Norman Cousins said, accept the diagnosis but defy the prognosis. Mm. And it's, 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 I think if it's, a pow- if it's a powerfully positive prognosis, talk about it. But it, it, is, it doesn't help if there's any negativity mm-hmm. because nobody really knows what's going to happen. You can get information from the doctors, which cancer patients do from their fine doctors, and talk about that. Right. But it, it's not set in stone. And you have to yourself individually really decide how you're going to approach the disease. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, Virginia, tell us what's happening with your family now. Well, and I can be, I can be totally happy. Amy finished uh, 18 months of chemo wow. uh, in November. Wow. Or maybe October. Uh, of this year. Uh, this just two months ago. Wow! And um, they did um, uh, whatever it is, the MRI or whatever. I don't, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. I, that part of it, I just like so don't even like to right. think so about. But anyway, hands. right? Uh-huh. Her numbers, um, and it's funny because when she was really sick, I almost didn't want to hear this because I didn't want to get my hopes up. But her numbers, she has less cancer in her body than I do. Wow! And I'm totally healthy. Wow! Um, she is her her. Um, they took the port out of her uh, chest, mm-hmm. so, which is a really, um, you know, I mean because that means they, they don't think that they're going to have to go back in there again and give her any more chemo. And she's, um, you know, uh, you know that we had a little, her husband had, this is like two days after Thanksgiving, uh, her husband had emergency, but who's my age, 55, had emergency bypass surgery. Mm. So, I mean, like it, it doesn't stop, but he's doing fine today. I talked to him yesterday, and he's yeah. doing fine. Yeah. And um, our family is closer together than it's ever been. Uh, my sisters went on a cruise with my dad and their kids um, over the summer, and uh, it's it's become a celebration of life. And we will never be the same again as a as a family unit. And um, it's brought us together spiritually and emotionally, and um, uh, and it's inspired us to live. You know, it's interesting. My sister said when she, because she thought she was going to die. And when they told her she was okay, she says, it's like almost like, um, you know, I got, I got called back to work. I thought I had the afternoon off, and they told me I didn't have it off after all. She <laughs> says, it's a little bit daunting because I cannot be the woman I was before uh-huh. cancer. I cannot be. I have, to, I have responsibility now for making my life uh, the amazing life it deserves to be. So uh, in a way, it's, I don't know what, of course we know, don't know what ovarian cancer is. Ovarian cancer does what it does. Right. But for today, we are um, inspired, enlivened, grateful, uh, and and incredibly warm and loving family. Wow! Well, what an amazing story, and and how amazing that you've chosen to share it with us today. I think really very, 
very inspirational uh, for all of us. Um, as we move sort of towards the end of the show, again, I think a lot of our listeners are dealing with some of the same challenges, you know, that, you, that you've that you talked about, that you experienced personally, Virginia, and certainly a, a lot of the same struggles and challenges, Chris, that I'm sure you're hearing in groups and conversations, you know, on a regular basis. I, I'd love to just share uh, some practical advice, information, tips for folks um, who are caregivers, particularly folks who are long-distance caregivers. Maybe they've just had someone uh, far away who's been diagnosed with cancer, and, you know, how do you approach that? How do you get started, what are some of the first steps that you need to take to really cope with that situation? I'm going to, let me start with you, Chris. Well, first of all, if there is any kind of a support group, call the hospital, find out if they can get into a group of caregivers because there's nothing more powerful than that. You know, it's like a group, of, it's like family, they're, they're like veterans of a war. They come together mm-hmm. and try to solve a problem. And this is what they ask. How can we solve this? How can we help build an emotional support system? Yeah. How can we focus on hope and faith and positive? Yeah. And, uh, but if they can get into a group or virtual wellness or whatever it is, they need, they need not do this by themselves yeah. or a church even. Yeah. yeah. So really getting connected. I mean, our name is the wellness community, and really it's about finding finding that community for yourself. I would totally agree with that because the other thing you really need that's really helpful is getting education about whatever the particular kind of cancer it is. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to get online and do it, but you can get a lot of scary stuff. It's overwhelming. And one of the cool things about the wellness community is that, um, or and I don't know any other group than this that's, the, that's so great, is that they have incredible resources of doctors and people you can talk to who face-to-face, that it's not just a, 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 um, the empty Internet screen. It's somebody that you can actually talk to who can tell you, this is what's going to happen, this is the protocol you can expect. Having that, you know, that knowing that you're not your sister isn't the first person that ever had ovarian cancer and that we know how to treat it. There's no guarantees, but we know we have a protocol that has been done millions of times, right. and this is what we're going to do, and you don't have to second-guess uh, you can and just the information and knowledge base that you can get, and the support group helps you with that too. Because there's always going to be some someone there who has done it is at least a couple of weeks ahead of you. Right. Right. Now, it is just so important not to forget about what happens to family members and caregivers. And yeah. Very often they feel that they're secondary citizens, but we know that they're not. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, Virginia, I think one thing that you said to me that sort of struck me that was really interesting and could be a model for other families is that, um, uh, you know, that you're a therapist and, you know, you, you kind of decided, you know, this is what I'm good at, this is what my role is going to be. Your sister's a doctor. You decided she was going to be more focused on the medical information you've got. I mean, do you think that's a kind of good advice for a family to say, listen, find out who's good at what? If this is, if this is what they're good at in their day job, then maybe this is what they'll be good at as a caregiver as well. Well, plus it's kind of healing because, it's, you know, I get to think of my sisters and brother as um, – as colleagues as opposed to as my, you know, my little siblings, you know, who I'm still annoyed at from childhood. So when we're actually pulling together the skills, it, it, makes, it changes the family dynamics. And, you have a new respect for each other. Exactly. And, you know, there's going to be the person who's the crier. You know, there's the person who's the sufferer. And there's the person who's the, um, the, the jokester and kind of laughs everybody out of it. And, and that's good, too. You know, everybody has their part to play, some of which came from family history and some of which is brand new. 
Yeah. And it just opens the whole system up to experimenting with new ways of coping. New roles, new dynamics within exactly. a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Have you seen that as well, Chris, with other families sort of figuring out how to kind of organize, how to deploy? Oh, definitely. And particularly when there are men who are caregivers, they want to fix it. They have all the facts, but they really often need to learn how to get into their feelings and emotions. And emotions are just as important as far as healing is to be able to process your feelings and your emotions and your sadness and your happiness and your hope and hopelessness. I mean, just to be able to process stress. Is Is that happening in your groups, Chris? Is that happening with men? Yeah, it's happening all the time. Yeah. we, We talk about stressors. And what I do is I have what's called a wine and cheese party. Mm-hmm. where people can come and whine and talk about what's bothering them and just leave it in the room. Yeah. So and it's important. That's fantastic. Well, you've both been just terrific today, and I want to thank you for sharing this incredible information and sharing your wisdom and expertise in Virginia, sharing your your family story with us, and it's really very, I think, touching and also really motivating um, for, for our listeners today. Um, if you want to find more out about cancer caregiver support services available in your community, you can certainly visit the Wellness Community website. Uh, it is at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. You can, fi- you can find information on our 26 centers across the country um, and on our various programs. All- at all of our wellness communities, we have caregiver support groups. We also have caregiver support groups online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org, or you can call us at 888 793 well, W-E-L-L. There's another organization called the Family Caregiver Alliance, which was the first community-based nonprofit in the country to address the needs of families and friends providing long-term care at home. Uh, they are at www.caregiver.org or call 800-445-8106. Um, and there's a group called the Well Spouse Association, a national not-for-profit membership organization which uh, gives support to wives, husbands, partners of the chronically ill uh, and or disabled through, through programs of support. You can visit their website at www.wellspouse.org or you can call 800-838-0879. I just want to remind our, our listeners that really the main piece of advice that came out of this conversation today is to get, get support. Uh, you know, as a caregiver, get help, find support in your community through the wellness community, through other community organizations, through the hospital, through the cancer center. Um, we really want to take a moment to dedicate our show today to the 7 million people living in the U.S. Um, who are caring for a loved one with cancer uh, from afar. And I want to thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org.